Six days later, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and brought them to the top of a very high mountain where they were alone. He was transformed in front of them, and his clothes were amazingly bright, brighter than if they had been bleached white. Elijah and Moses appeared and were talking with Jesus. Peter reacted to all of this by saying, by saying to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good that we're here. Let us make three shrines, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He said this because he didn't know how to respond, for the three of them were terrified. Then a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice spoke from the cloud. This is my son, whom I dearly love. Listen to him. Suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, he ordered them not to tell anyone what they had seen until after the human one had risen from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. I want to start off with a question. The question is, when is the last time you've been in awe of God? Right? When was the last time you've been in awe of God? Not when was the last time you worship God, or the last time you Bible studied God, or the last time you thought about God, but the last time you just stood, or sat, or were prostrate, or on, on, on the ground, laying on the ground in awe of God, just receiving, uh, without words, just that immense feeling of, man, God is good, God is powerful, God is amazing, and Usually this happens to me in nature when I'm appreciating creation and the immensity of creation, whether that's going on a hike and at the top, at the peak, seeing the magnificent like scenery and the sky and being overwhelmed by how small I am versus how vast God's creation is. When I was in college, undergrad at Whitman College in Walla Walla, um, aside from the state penitentiary that's right there, we used to take walks out into the wheat fields and uh, there's this long straight farm road and we'd walk down it, uh, maybe it'd be our, our whole hall, right, or our floor would go out there. Some of us would bring sleeping bags and just lay out in the wheat fields and look at the stars and the skies and there, there are a couple moments, times there where I would look at the stars and the skies and just the vastness of God's creation, the vastness of the heavens just pushing down on me and just laying there. And you know, college is like idealism. I'm sitting there writing poetry. But in those moments, I'm just laying there and there has to be a God. And, and no, it, it didn't matter what kind of philosophical or apologetics, right, what conversations I was getting to in the dorm rooms about does God exist? What about the problem of pain? Or, you know, is there only one way to God? It didn't matter in, that, in those moments when I was simply experiencing God and God was speaking to me. Um, other times may be for you, ha, ha, um, the birth of a child. Right? I remember a birth of Isaiah, our first child, and just sitting there amazed at the miracle of life, right? Like, there's nothing, there's no blueprint for creating a person, right? It just happens 
in a woman's body in. And then when that child is in your arms, I was overwhelmed with emotion, just weeping like, wow. This is a, the perfect combination of mom and dad, right? And all the waiting, right? The nine months or 10 months of waiting and form, formation. And then to see them just evolve into their own human being, right? But they kind of look like you. And Dylan just is like, uh, I'm getting distracted by San Francisco jerseys over there. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> no. Uh, I'm not in awe. I'm not in awe. Or, yeah, even sports, right? Uh, watching the Olympics, they always have those stories, you know, those that always, like, pull your heartstrings, right? Those stories of glory, like, in the midst of opposition, in the midst of struggle, the human soul rises up against all opposition and, like, or you see human moments in the midst of competition and it just breaks your heart. And these are all moments where I'm in awe, right? I'm in awe and say in my soul, there must be a God. There is a God. This is God in this moment, right? And that's why we give testimony or we have God sightings and just being in awe. And you don't think about it. You don't analyze it. You just stand in awe of God, amen? Have you been, have you had that? A sunset, a sunrise, right? Something, some moment where you experience God. And I think those are the places we need to be, especially in the West, um, in the church where we're educated, where we're learned, where uh, we have all our ducks in a row. Sometimes we need to just stop and be in awe of God and just, just feel it just in our souls. Not just in our heads, although you can be in awe and experience God in your thinking. Uh, but I think we lean, right, in our culture, we lean a lot in, in our heads and less in our hearts and in our souls, deep in the marrow of our bones to experience and to be in awe of God. And I think this passage is just that. Jesus is responding to what we talked about last week in chapter 8 where he asked the disciples previously in Mark the question, who do people say that I am, if you remember last week? And the response, Peter has the really good teacher's pet response, you are the Christ. Ah! Ding, 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 ding. Right? And that, though, that phrase, that question, who do people say that I am, and the response, you are the Christ, continues to reverberate for us, right? As we move forward from... And we talked about how that was the, is the exact center of the Gospel of Mark. But if you remember, Peter blows it after that, right? Uh, after he chastises Jesus, because Jesus said, you know, he prophesies, I'm going to have to suffer. I'm going I'm to be rejected. I'm going to die. Um, and, and it says that Peter pro, uh, chastises him. So, no, you can't. That's not what you're about. You're here to... Run the revolution, right? We're going to rise up against Rome, and we're going to overthrow everything, right? Glory, glory, glory. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. You don't have anything to do with me. That's, God's ways are not your ways. That's what, you've got it right. I am the Christ, but what, your conception or your vision of what Christ the Messiah is, is off. Because I must suffer. I'm on a mission. I have a purpose for 
the salvation of humanity and the renewal of all things. And that means that I go through this suffering first. And if you don't get that, you're not with me. If you don't get that, you're not with me. It's more than my name. It's more than just saying Christ, Christ, Jesus, Jesus. It's standing in solidarity with who I am. With where I'm going. With the path that I'm walking. And who I'm walking with. I don't stand with the Caesars. Right? I don't stand with the empires. I stand with the marginalized. I stand with the poor. I stand with those who are sick that need healing. The voices that are unheard in our society. That's who Jesus stands with. And that's why he's walking this path of suffering for new life, for a new way. And that's what Jesus, why Jesus is so hard on Peter. But I think uh, the transfiguration, I remember growing up and reading this and just skipping over like, oh, glowing, right? <laughs> glowing Jesus, what is this about? Who knows, it's just random. Why is this in here? Uh, but it actually isn't that random. It's actually Jesus' further response to that conversation, right? It's, I'm much more than what you think. The Messiah is much more. I'm Messiah and I'm God, right? And I'm also here to be with people as a human. And I have this purpose and this mission. And it's not always going to be easy. So listen to me. And follow me. Are you with me, church? So next slide. The transfiguration. I looked all over to make this connection. Man, no one wrote about, you know, the, the, the three Jedi ghosts and the transfiguration. But it's clearly the connection is there, right? The end of Return of the Jedi, right? You have Yoda, Anakin, and um, what's his name? Obi-Wan. And I think there's controversy because they replaced young Anakin and the old Anakin up there. Uh, but, right, they're, they're all both, they're all dead, but they kind of return in new form, right? Obi-Wan and Yoda kind of still, or Obi-Wan still kind of talks to Luke in, in this spiritual form or whatever. But in our story, right, Peter and the three, or the other disciples, see Moses, uh, Elijah, and Jesus transfigured, meaning their, their, their form has changed um, and they're glowing, like bleach white glowing. And so that's always been in my head. I can't read this passage without seeing this scene in Return of the Jedi, right? Moses, Elijah, and Jesus. Um, hopefully no heresy was <laughs> committed in the preaching of this and illustrations. But I take poetic and artistic license. Um, uh, so in this pivotal moment in the center of Mark here, Jesus continues the dialogue and takes three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John, up the mountain. And we, we know from scripture that a lot of things happen when the prophet or the person goes up the mountain, right? There's a revelation from God. Moses goes up. Sinai receives the Ten Commandments, right? So Jesus' sermon on the mount. He goes up up the mountain and delivers a great sermon. So revelation and truth is revealed on the mountain. Or we even have it in our culture. We had a mountaintop experience, right? I went up to the mountaintop, received, and came back down, right? 
Um, so that's, that's one image that we need to be aware of, that they're on the mountaintop, and that connects it, connects this moment with all the moments in the Law and the Prophets where that has happened, Elijah, Moses, etc., etc. And then um, Jesus is transformed before their very eyes. He undergoes an inexplicable change where his clothes become dazzling white um, and whiter than anything um, they can think of. Um, and this transformation, I think, reveals or gives the disciples a glimpse of God's glory, right? There's a glimpse of God's glory. Um, and Jesus in Mark 8, 38 refers to her, right? right? He says, in the glory of his father and with his angels, right? I'm going to come back in the glory of my father and his angels. And this is a picture of that glory. So even as Peter is chastising Jesus for saying that he's going to suffer and die, Jesus is saying, actually, I'm going to come back in glory. And there's something about Jesus and Jesus' purpose and mission where suffering and glory are tied. And that's where I, that's where, you know, I kind of make that, we make that break from the values of the world, right? We don't usually tie glory with suffering, right? We say glory is winning, right? Glory is whoever's the strongest. Glory is someone, uh, the one that's the most triumphant. But we know internally or like uh, intuitively we know that glory is tied to suffering in some way. Just look at sports or athletics or anything that you, or, or music or art, right? You have to work at it, right? Which work you can define as suffering, right? You suffer, you work out if you're an athlete and it hurts, it's painful. But at the end, when you cross the finish line, there's glory, right? So there's suffering and glory. And, and Jesus is talking about this. He's trying to make this connection that, yes, ultimately, I will, there will be glory. But first, I'm walking through this. But, you know, there's kind of an, an encouragement, right? An affirmation for the disciples. In the end, I will be glorified. And here's a picture of that. So that's the one thing. Number two, Moses and Elijah suddenly appear. These are two humongous, you know, pillars of scripture. Moses and Elijah. Moses, you know, uh, is connected with the law, the Torah. He's connected with the law, whereas Elijah is connected to the prophets. So you have the law and the prophets, and their uh, their present their presence terrifies the disciples. And I also always I kind of wonder how. Peter and the disciples recognized Moses and Elijah. It's not like there was Instagram and they were following Moses and Elijah on Instagram. Oh, yeah, Moses, I saw, I saw you. Oh, Elijah, like, how do they know what they look like? Right? Like, so either someone's just, you know, offering their theological interpretation of this event, uh, the right remark, like, after the fact, or they just felt it, like, oh, that makes sense. That's Moses and Elijah, right? And then Jesus. But the, ho the whole point is what we have is the law and the prophets. And then Jesus being there is supposed to be there as the fulfillment, right? Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. And Jesus is the fulfillment of the prophets. It's, you know, Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. Without Jesus, it's just, you know clanging symbols, it's just structure, it's just rules, 
And the prophets are all prophesying the Messiah. The Messiah is coming. The Messiah is coming. And Jesus is the fulfillment of those prophecies. So all of scripture is coming to one point here with these three, Yoda, you know, Obi-Wan, and Anakin together as one in this place. So they're given the whole kind of vision, right? Oh, now all the things that I, all the words and stories and the prophecies that we grew up with learning as a part of our faith, right? Oh, it makes sense in a holistic way. It's all coming together. And that's what Jesus is about. That's what Jesus is talking about. And then Peter, <laughs> Peter's always, he's funny because he's always has a reaction, right? Some sort of, he, he doesn't think maybe, I don't know. He, it seems like he's, he reacts. He feels and reacts. So it says he's overwhelmed. So he's like, he doesn't know what to say. It says like, he, he said this because he didn't know what to say. So he just says, let's build three tents, right? That's his, that's his natural reaction. I don't know what to say. I don't know what's happening. Let's just build three tents, right? And so we can like have a party or, a, you know, so you can be comfortable, lay down. Maybe you, you need some rest. But there's this kind of desire to bring the, what's, uh, what's spiritual or what's kind of out of control, right? Into the physical and the practical, right? Let's build some tents. And we also think of the tabernacle, right? when the people of Israel were wandering and they're nomadic, right? They're moving from place to place. And so they carried the tabernacle, a movable tabernacle where the Shekinah glory of God is in the tabernacle, right? So there is a moving physical thing that's containing the glory of God, but it isn't the glory of God itself, right? And so you have the same tent metaphor uh, and, and Peter's, that's his natural response. Um, but it's not about erecting tents, right? It's not about tents right now. It's about just being in awe, right? That's the point I think here. The disciples just standing in awe of the divine in their presence. And this, this, this presence is made to be an encouragement to the disciples. Like, you, we're gonna suffer, you're gonna suffer, and it's gonna get harder before it gets easier as you follow me. But let me show you why. This is who I am, right? I'm divine, right? I'm God. And, and this is, like, I'm the end, uh, right? I'm the end game. Um, <clears throat> So amidst this awe-inspiring scene, I imagine, uh, right, the disciples receive somewhat of an affirmation, right? This is the promised Messiah. This is who we've been waiting for. And they hear God's voice saying, this is my beloved son. Listen to him, right? And we immediately go back to Jesus' baptism, right? This is my son, right? The, dove, the skies open up, the dove comes out. This is my son who I'm pleased with, right? This is my beloved son. Listen to him. In case you're wondering if Jesus is divine, in case you're wondering if God is in this, this is my son. Follow him. Listen to him. Trust him. 
right? And I, I have those moments where I'm like, oh, I'm hearing from God. I hear from Jesus. But then I'm like, is this just my mind? Right? Is this just, am I just making this up? Or is this just wishful thinking? I want to hear this, so I, I think I'm hearing this from God. Right? We have those moments where we're in the presence of the divine and we're like, oh, I got to make a tent. Right? How do I capture this moment? Right? How do, I need to journal this. Like, God saying this? Like, how do I keep this in the temporal right here? So I know, like, so I have a blueprint of what to do. Right? We immediately go, what are, what are your tents? What are the tents that you build when you come into the presence of God? To say, oh, I need to understand this right now. I need to capture this. I need to collect my manna because the manna might not be there tomorrow. Right? And so we hear, we experience God and we distrust it or we're like, we might not hear him again. We might, he might not be there tomorrow. So like, what do I got to do? And sometimes it's just being in awe. Right? Just stand and be in God's presence and receive. Let that love just bask in the love of God. Bask in the presence of God. And let him, it's like sunshine, right? On a cloudy day. <laughs> um, so I think I have three points. Right, what's next? Oh, yeah. Yes. Um, well, theologically, there's three things. Before this, uh, there's three things to pull out theologically about the transfiguration. And one, that's, it's the revelation of Jesus' deity, right? The transfiguration provides the disciples with a glimpse of Jesus' divine nature, right? Jesus is God, right? Before this, they just see, they've been walking around with Jesus. They see Jesus eat. Right? They just see him in human form, um, but with the transfiguration, they see Jesus um, in a different type of form, in a divine form. Um, number two, it's the, like I mentioned, the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. We see Moses and Elijah coming together, the fulfillment of Jesus, right? Um, so the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. And then the purpose and the importance of the incarnation, right? Incarnation being God coming down in human form as Jesus to dwell among us. Jesus is the bridge between heaven and earth. So the transfiguration um, is the point where humans, human nature meets God. So is it, the, is it Michelangelo, the picture of God's finger touching Adam's finger? It's like Jesus bridges that gap. Right, because of God's love, right, heaven comes down to earth. Um, and so this is an encouragement to the disciples, and it's an encouragement to all of us. We're not just worshiping a distant, aloof God way up there, and someday we're going to be there. But Jesus understands us. Jesus knows. Jesus walks with us, has walked this earth. And the Holy Spirit, right, is God with us. Um, walking with us, being with us. So we are reassured um, in this. So now some three key takeaways 
from the transfiguration, I bet you didn't think of that. Like, the transfiguration gives me three key takeaways. And that's this. To understand who Jesus is. Remember Jesus' first question. Who do people say that I am? Right? To the disciples. Who is Jesus? Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Messiah. And Jesus is divine God. Right? The Son of God. So that's one. It's the identity of Christ. But it's also more than that. It's understanding in that identity to know that God has a purpose in that identity. That Jesus has a mission and a purpose. The transfiguration bridges glory and suffering and points to the mission of Christ. Right? And Jesus uh, will soon, even as he's shining, he's radiant and he's... Uh, in the fullness of glory here, uh, the disciples will soon see him face the cross and suffer in a very human way. And that suffering has to happen, right? His suffering serves God's ultimate purpose, and that's the renewal and salvation of the earth, right? Through Jesus. Um, understand what Jesus is about which is the second one Jesus is about the redemption of humanity and the renewal of all things Jesus is here to save us and then understand that we are called to listen and follow as God says this is my son listen and follow him there's a very practical instruction right it's it's not enough to say, you are the Christ, right? We need to fully know and understand the purpose of Jesus, the mission of Jesus, but also that Jesus is very real in our lives today and has, and leads us, right? Like, listen and follow Jesus. All of us as followers of Christ, if we profess Jesus, we're called to listen to Jesus, to listen and follow Um, I think it's a pretty appropriate that we are turning the page to the second half of Mark. And I alluded to it last week. The first half of Mark is about the identity of Jesus, who Jesus is, and that Jesus has authority. And people are kind of confronting and uh, challenging Jesus' authority and who he is. And then Peter declaring, you are the Christ. We move to the second part of Mark, which is the journey to the cross. It's focused on Jesus marching towards the cross. Um, so as we turn the page to the second half of Mark, uh, and Mark begins to move from the establishment and revelation of Christ's identity to now focus on the mission of Christ, the journey to the cross. Um, this Wednesday marks the beginning of the Lenten season. This Wednesday is Ash Wednesday. Uh, where the church um, kind of stands in solidarity or enters into a season uh, where we have a heightened kind of uh, reality, heightened awareness of Christ's walk and Christ's journey to the cross. Um, traditionally, it's a time of penitence and fasting and the practicing of spiritual dis uh, disciplines like almsgiving, generosity, um, 
but I mean, overall, it's a time where we are called to be more aware, to have a heightened awareness of discipleship in Jesus, to listen and to follow Jesus, right? I know so much of my day is like to listen and follow my wife, or <laughs> to listen and follow, I won't use that example, to listen and follow the clock on the wall, right? Or on my phone, I should say, or to listen and follow the demands of my children, or to listen and follow the demands of my finances, or to listen and to follow whatever demands of what culture is saying that I should be, uh, what success means, what beauty means, what, what this and that means. And, uh, but to kind of turn the switch and say, I'm going to be a little more aware. I'm going to be more aware of Jesus. And what is Jesus saying to me right now? What is Jesus saying to you? If God says, listen and follow, what is Jesus saying to you in this time? Because in the loudness of everything, uh, before this, we were doing a sound check with the worship team, right? The drums were really loud, right? So Lorraine's like, turn up my monitor, please. And then on the song where there were no drums, it was like, oh, her monitors were way too loud. But it's like when there's drums, like the drums of, you know, everyday life, the world around us are loud. It's hard to pick out God's frequency, right? But to, to listen for, to be postured, to receive the frequency of God, of Jesus, and to listen and to follow. That's what Lent is about. That's what discipleship is about. And to actually make choices to follow that voice follow those instructions and see where that takes you. It can take you to crazy places, but also life-giving places. And look, Jesus doesn't promise a happy life, right? Jesus doesn't promise you won't suffer or things won't be painful, but Jesus does say, follow me and listen to me and you will have new life, right? Um, and finally, I'll leave with this. Many of us know suffering well, right? Many of you have suffered, are suffering right now, whether that's physically or emotionally, are in a lot of pain or have been in a lot of pain. Uh, maybe you have experienced the loss of loved ones. Maybe you're experiencing the estrangement of our loved ones from yourself. Maybe you are struggling with your health or you've experienced, you know, the death of someone you've loved. Um, Christ knows you. Christ sees you. Christ walks beside you. The glory of God is beside you. How amazing is that? The glory of God is beside you, walking. And the question is, will you listen to Jesus' voice right now? Will you follow him? Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you that you 
our God. And yet you love us and you walk beside us and you call us 